This is the Dreamers Podcast, episode 51. Today is January 4th, 2022. Hello, world. Welcome to the Dreamers Podcast. I am Stephanie Annie's, also known as Annie's Wealth. I'm a financial coach and an author. I self-published my first book, Dream of Legacy, a guide to help dreamers reach financial independence and build generational wealth. In this podcast, I'll have conversations with experts and thought leaders who dare to follow their dreams. You'll hear about their journey and their money stories. I hope it inspires you, dreamers out there, to live life on your own terms. Come on, dreamers. Let's change the world. This podcast is brought to you by Dream of Legacy. Check out dreamoflegacy.com for resources, to assist you on your journey to financial independence. Before we get into today's episode, please take a couple minutes to go into Apple Podcasts if you're listening from an Apple device to rate and review the podcast. If you appreciate the free resources that are provided in this podcast, then the best way to let me know is to do just that. Reviews help the podcast be more visible and it helps other dreamers discover the podcast. So thank you. I appreciate you. And now let's get back to today's episode. Hello, dreamers. Welcome to the Dreamers Podcast. I'm your host, Annie's Wealth. I can't believe I'm saying this, but Happy New Year. I hope this new year is the best of your life so far. I hope it brings you everything that you've been hoping and praying for. And I am so happy that you're here at the very top of the year, ready to listen to this new podcast episode. I have been taking some time off over the past few weeks, enjoying time in California with family. So for today's episode, I thought it would be great to start the year focusing on how to kickstart your financial wellness. And to help you do that, I have put together the best episodes from last year that focused on that. And I hope you enjoy the selection as much as I do. This is the last week of replay episode. I'll be back here next week for a brand new episode. If you are still enjoying time off, please make the best of the remaining days. I know I plan to do just that. If you are already back to work, I am sending you well wishes because I know going back to work on January 2nd or 3rd can be very tricky. Five or six years ago, I was browsing through the internet and I discovered the FIRE movement. The first person that I found out about was Mr. Money Mustache. And he was an engineer who had retired in his early 30s with enough money for him, his wife, and their kid, based on their living expenses, to continue to live the exact same life that they were living without having to work. The one thing that intrigued me the most about Mr. Money Mustache is that even though his wife were making good money, they weren't rich, but yet they were able to retire, both of them, in their 30s. And so I was very intrigued. And then I read the book, Your Money or Your Life. I discovered that there were a bunch more people that were part of this movement called the FIRE movement, which stands for Financial Independence, Retire Early. 
I was at a point in my life where I was ready for something different professionally. And though I wasn't necessarily looking to retire early, just knowing that there was a whole movement of people out there who were able to retire early in their 30s, 40s, and not having to wait until traditional retirement age to have freedom. So that was my introduction to the FIRE movement. And what FIRE provided is a simple framework, which essentially is about saving a large percentage of your annual income so you can be more intentional about saving and investing in your retirement. Most people take advantage of their company's 401k, maybe save 10, 15, even 20% of their income. But with the FIRE movement, some people save and invest up to 70% of their annual income. Of course, that's on the extreme side. But there are people out there who actually doing it. With FIRE, what you do is you have to first get a good grasp of your annual expenses, right? So let's say your annual expenses are $50,000. With the FIRE movement, you will multiply your annual expenses by 25 to reach financial independence. So it will be $1.25 million. And I know more than one person is probably listening right now thinking, well, I don't have $1.25 million just sitting around. And that's not how FIRE works. But essentially, you start from your financial independence number, which in this case will be $1.25 million. The first assumption here is that the stock market has returned about 10% of annual return for the past 100 years. If you factor in inflation, you're probably somewhere around 8% of return. So you are assuming that when you invest your money every year, it will give you back an 8% return after inflation. The second assumption is that you will withdraw every year once you've reached your financial independence number, 4% of your portfolio. So what that means is that essentially, once you've reached $1.25 million invested, then you can withdraw money every year to cover your expenses, which is 50000 without ever having to touch your principal balance. So how did you adjust from doing this as a side hustle to becoming a full-time entrepreneur? When you're an entrepreneur, especially in the beginning, it's harder to predict your income and you kind of have to eat what you kill. So do you have any money tip for someone who might be considering following your path and turning this side hustle into a full-time? That's a really good question because in the beginning, you wear every hat possible. You are the marketer, the janitor, the CEO, the assistant, like you are everything. So which means you're investing money into multiple areas. And for a long time, I didn't take any money out of the business for myself. I didn't have a paycheck. Well, most of the time I'd be in the negative because I was investing into different people and projects and tools and systems. I advise that you focus on building community first before anything, right? Once you have a community, you're able to test your idea. And then based on the data, you can decide whether or not this idea is worth pursuing, right? Because it's not about your feelings (laughs) at all. It's about the information at hand. Because the thing is, I feel like we have enough t-shirt lines. I want to see 
more young entrepreneurs, and honestly, most people are doing an excellent job at this, but this is for the people who are kind of stuck, solve a problem. If you are solving a problem at a community level, industry level, or the world at large, you will always be in demand. You will get to where you want to be. You will earn the income of your dreams. Honestly, this is no shade, but it's like people are stuck because it's like they're not solving a real problem, a real need. So that's why you're not getting your product isn't flying off the shelves and people are not walking into your store. And it's like not solving a problem that's big enough. And sometimes I do find that some of the women that I have mentored in the past, you know, they tend to go towards like beauty or vanity or whatnot. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there will be a higher demand for someone who is, let's say, I have a mentee who works with individuals who suffer from like skin rashes and like irritations. And she develops products to help clear marks on your skin and whatnot. She's going to have longevity in her career and she's doing exceptionally well versus someone who is performing lash extensions, right? Both are great businesses, but one is going to be around 20 years from now. I really love what you just said there, because I think along those lines, you know, sometimes when we start businesses or we develop a product, it's easy to to want to kind of like sell to everyone, right? But yeah, when you target your audience, the more specific you are, the better you can serve them. I love what you said about your combined income during that time that you were saving and investing aggressively before becoming millionaires, because often the perception is that the path to millionaire status, especially that early in life, only happen if you make six figures or 200,000, especially like in a, in a place like California, where the cost of living is so high. But you guys did it. And I think that it can really motivate people to see that they can do that too. So I love that. Right. Yeah. So eventually our income did go over 100,000, but not till the later years. But that's why I do part of the financial, I do what's called the money fit challenge and I walk people through. And one of the last things I do is to have people evaluate their career. The truth is you can make it on a small income forever. But if you have larger financial goals, that making sure that you're in a career or you have a side hustle or whatever it is that's going to grow your income, that is something that you can do. But that is second to controlling your spending and making sure at whatever income level. So yeah, absolutely. Watch your spending, saving, investing. And I think it's more important than just making sure you always make more money. Because if you're spending, I think that's the biggest thing I realized that you will spend at your first salary the same way you'll spend in the future. So if you're overspending a lower salary, and you've seen this, you know, with celebrities who've made and lost all their money, and you think, how is that possible? They make millions. And it's because it doesn't matter how much you make. If you spend more than you make, you will never have money. And so I think that's also big that yes, it's like great to grow your income, but you still have to be watching your spending at least. Yeah, you have to track where that money's going. Tell us more about how you guys did it. What did you invest in? What types of accounts did you use? We mostly did 401k and then Roth IRAs. And really, that was it for a long time. And we just did basic, low-cost index funds. I love it. Yeah. yeah. For a while, I think we were trying to get a little too... Not that we were trying to max our returns, but we were spending, I think, a little much too much effort balancing out our portfolio. Personally, now, what I recommend for investing is I love The Simple Path to Wealth by 
J.L. Collins, and he recommends low-cost index funds, basically just the total U.S. stock market and bonds index. And the reason why is because then you're not paying really high fees. You're not losing 1% of your assets every year to management fees. I think that is a wise strategy, but it is obviously a long-term strategy. This isn't like a day trading strategy. I'm definitely in the boat of a quote lazy investor where I put it in low-cost index funds, let them grow over time and leave it alone. Occasionally check in to make sure I have the right amount of stocks versus bonds for my age and retirement goals. But yeah, we did pretty basic tracking the market, basically. I hope that parents who are, you know, working to create this better life for their kids understand the importance of cultivating the next generation such that your work is not in vain. Because one of the things that you pointed out is 75% of wealth is lost in the second generation, 90% is lost in the third. And part of that is because of the nurturing and also because a lot of these kids don't know who they are and where they come from. If you never saw your parents work hard, then you don't have any association to it. Or if you didn't share various different stories, it's hard for a kid to attach themselves to that. And I would just give like just one anecdote story about my particular family, my great, great grandfather who purchased the land that is still within our family, he purchased like 1910. They had to clear it manually. So the land that I see today with row cropping and peanuts and corn and all that kind of stuff, it was all trees. So like this man I never met, right? So at first, you know, I'm thinking like, oh, you know, being able to buy land at that time, given the way the United States was, is a feat in itself. But then to know that there was no access to a tractor, none of the technology that we have today. So him and his family had to do this by hand. It's like, how dare I, you know, 170 years later, not take this serious or not take the opportunity that has been afforded to me seriously. But if I don't know my family, if I can't make the connection, then it's not as important. So those are like the main things that I would share with families or parents who want to bring their kids into the fold. You made so many great points, you know, understanding your family's history and the sacrifices that those before you made, I think will give you a much bigger sense of responsibility, right? Even if you're not necessarily the most passionate about the family business, if you understand what your ancestor did for you to get to that point, then you're probably going to be more likely to want to sustain it, expand it. So I think it's so important to have those conversations. One thing that you said too is when you are raised by entrepreneurs, you will automatically pick that from your parents. I think sometimes parents who are entrepreneurs don't necessarily expose their kids to it or they don't take them to their place of business. And I think it's harder for kids to relate to entrepreneurship if they're not exposed. One thing that I hear about a lot is I don't need to worry about estate planning because I don't have money. There are many reasons why you should worry about estate planning, especially if you're a parent, if you have dependents, if you have assets. Let's talk about something that most people know about, which is having a will. So what exactly is a will? A will is essentially the directives that you give to your family, your loved ones about how you want your affairs to be handled. If you have children, 
That includes who you want to be the guardians for your kids. A will can include really anything that you want to share with your loved ones, down to your account information, whether it's bank account, retirement account, investment account, password, login, a list of all of the institutions where you have accounts, the detail for your funeral arrangements, whether you want to be cremated or buried, really anything that you want to share with your loved ones. However, something that's very important to know when it comes to having a will is that you have to follow the rules in your state or in your country. In some parts of the world, a manuscript will that you live in your home will be valid. But in a lot of places, there are some more stringent requirements that you have to follow in order to have a valid will in the event that you were to pass. So it's very important that you take into consideration where you live to make sure that you follow the rules. Because if you don't have a will, then you leave it up to the state, the country, to determine what's best for your affairs. Authorities might decide that your kids should live with someone that you wouldn't have picked. So it's very important to put pen to paper so that everything is clear and to ensure that you're following the legal requirements. That's why it's never a bad idea to consult with a lawyer when it comes to these type of affairs. And depending on where you work, you might actually be able to do this at no additional charge because some companies will offer legal benefits at a very low cost or even at zero cost. So it's important to look into the options that you have and to make sure that you are covered. So how is it to be debt-free? That's something that, you know, I still have a mortgage, so I can't quite relate to that yet. And, you know, a lot of people think that's just not possible. A lot of people think that you have to either have a mortgage or have a car payment or you just have to have debt. So tell me about how it felt and how it feels every day to be debt-free and what kind of opportunity that has provided to you guys. Yeah, you know, when we paid off our debt in the beginning, the car debt and the student debt, that felt really good. It felt like we were releasing obligations in our lives. It felt A lot of times when we had the debt, it just felt like one more thing we had to worry about. And then when we paid them off, it was like one less thing we have to think about, one less thing we have to worry about. And as a young parent, man, I feel like we're always thinking about the thousands of things we have to do each day. And to release one of those big obligations just felt like a weight off. You know, you can breathe out, you know, it just felt great. And so when we did that with the mortgage, me personally, I can only speak to myself, speak for myself, but it was a huge weight off my shoulders. I felt like I was working in this job. And yes, I was paid very well, but I felt like I was sort of trapped. I'm like, okay, we decided to get this bigger house with a bigger mortgage. And I feel like I'm trapped in the job because of the mortgage. I didn't want to feel like that. So when we were able to pay it off, I felt free. I felt like I could make some choices for the betterment of our family, the betterment of my mental health in the future. And it just felt great. And it got a little addicting after the first round. You know, you pay off the student loans. I'm like, well, this feels good. Let's pay off the car. That feels great. Let's pay off the house. And then all of a sudden, you got no debt left. And it's like, oh, well, what else can we do? Let's build some wealth. Let's give more. Let's have more fun. Let's go on more vacations. 
And because you don't have those obligations, you can do more of those things. Like this year, our big financial goal is to save up to buy a hot tub. I mean, that's not really like a <laughs> paying off your mortgage or anything, but now we are having a lot more fun and excited about using our money for fun things. So yeah, that's where we are today. And it's, it's exciting. That sounds like a lot of fun. You mentioned that you paid off your mortgage, but do you mind sharing how much you paid off in five years? And I think that's uh, something worth mentioning. Sure. Yeah. So our mortgage, the home we bought in 2013 was $350,000. The mortgage we took out was around $200,000. So it was a $200,000 mortgage that we paid off in just under four years. Our goal was five and we paid it off in just under four years. So we worked hard together. We made some good money. I think during that period of time, we made on average around, I think, $170,000. So we lived on, I'd say, probably just a little bit less than half of that and utilized that money to pay off the mortgage. So I think it was on average, we paid an extra $3,000 per month. And that's a lot of money to pay on average. I mean, part of it was when we sold our first home, we were able to put a chunk of change, I think it was like twenty or $30,000. So that knocked off a lot of the original principal. And then the months that followed from that, it was like, okay, what can I do to get some bonuses at work? What can we do to sell some stuff around the house that we don't use anymore? You know, the old baby gear, as our kids are getting a little older, I think I sold my moped, I sold some skis, things that just I just didn't use anymore that were gathering dust ended up being more logs on the fire to burn away the mortgage. And we got excited about different ways to make that process happen. And then in areas for us to decrease our income, but not kill our joy. Like, hey, what can we do to negotiate down the cable bill? What can we do to negotiate down our insurance bill? Still have the same stuff, but just pay less money. I didn't want to have it be deprivation and not enjoy our journey. Finding ways to decrease our expenses, but not kill the joy. That was like my main, my main goal. So yeah, and we were able to follow that process. We met once a month to go over our budget together in a what we called the budget party and reviewed all of our expenses together. And over time, we were able to do it. Yeah, just under four years and became mortgage-free. That was the Kickstart Your Financial Wellness Best Of from last year's episode. I hope you take the time, if you haven't heard the full episode yet, to go back and listen to them. I will make sure to link the episodes in the show notes. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Dreamers Podcast. You can find the episode show notes and all of the links mentioned at dreamoflegacy.com. If you liked today's episode, here's what you can do to support me and help more dreamers discover the podcast. Follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate and review the podcast to help the podcast gain more visibility. Share the podcast with your family, friends, and co-workers. And if you really enjoyed today's episode, please take a second to tag me at thedreamers.podcast on Instagram and let me know what you liked about today's episode. All right, dreamers, that's it for today. I will see you back here next week for another episode of The Dreamers Podcast. Okay, dreamers. Time to build this legacy. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It is not intended to provide any tax, legal, financial planning, insurance, accounting, investment, or any other kind of professional advice or services. Please consult with an appropriate tax, financial, or legal professional to receive appropriate advice based on your situation.